We were here, I was here, Beverly wasn't with me uh, last time we visited you, but uh, was here five years ago, and on our uh, prayer card, we had 35 years of service together, but now uh, it's, our prayer card has 40 years on it. So uh, if you'd like to have one of these to be able to, uh, I know you pray for us always, and I'm uh, very grateful for that. Uh, but if you'd like to have one of these to be able to pray a little bit better, well, I'd like for you to get one of those. Beverly has them. Uh, maybe we put some out someplace for, for people to pick up uh, after the service today. Uh, but as was mentioned, uh, we're in Brazil, and we've been in Brazil for 40 years now. Uh, as I told you the last time I was here, I was brought up in Brazil. My dad was a missionary before me, but uh, Beverly and I have now been married 41 years uh, in fact, when we went to Brazil, uh, she was expecting our first son, and he just had his 40th birthday uh, last Friday. So uh, that's how long we've been in the country. And our report today uh, will be uh, some background about uh, Brazil and South America to sort of get you updated there. And then I won't be able to fill in too many blanks about uh, the history of the work I'll just tell you sort of how it got started, and then I'm going to fast forward and tell you some about uh, what we're doing uh, right now and some of the things that will be uh, happening. Also, it was mentioned this morning uh, that the church here has a, a small part in what we're doing. No, you have a big part. You, uh, your contributions have uh, been a huge blessing uh, to our work, and we're very, very grateful to the church uh, for your faithfulness, uh, even though we only get back to report to you uh, directly about every five years, but you've been very faithful and, and it's very meaningful to us. But let's uh, jump right in here and let's, you know, s- sort of try to figure out where in the world is this Brazil place. And I'm going to be emphasizing uh, the, the difference between South America and Africa and Asia, and you'll understand why as we go along. Uh, Brazil is, uh, of course, or South America is directly south of us. Uh, When I'm in the eastern time zone, that's the same time zone as my city in Brazil. So uh, South America is is the continent that that is due south of uh, North America. And, of course, you know where North America is. You can see that there. Everybody can identify that. But if you look off to one side, you see Africa. But South America is right below us. And South America, you flatten it out, it's a huge continent uh, and has different animals, uh, different languages uh, than, than what you would find uh, in those other continents. But Brazil is the biggest country in South America. I've sort of uh, singled out Brazil here uh, in the, the colored part, and then the white and gray is the rest of uh, South America. So Brazil is the biggest country in South America. and uh, you may not uh, know this, but the, the country Brazil, area-wise, is about the same size as the 48 continental United States. In other words, you take Alaska and Hawaii out, of course, uh, to, to get to the 48, but uh, with Alaska and Hawaii, the United States is much larger than Brazil. But just the 48 states, uh, where we are right now, uh, they're about the same size as Brazil. And Brazil here that you can see in the the green, 
Brazil speaks a different language from the other countries in South America also. Brazil was settled by Portugal, so we speak Portuguese. And the other countries around us, all those other countries that uh, surround Brazil, those uh, all speak, or most of them speak Spanish. There are a couple of exceptions, but uh, the countries, even our neighbor countries, which are Peru, uh, Colombia, and Bolivia, that are right around close to where we live, those countries all speak Spanish. But in Brazil, we speak Portuguese. But Brazil is different. South America is different from Africa and Asia. And our biggest cat is this guy. What, what kind of cat is this? That's a jaguar. A jaguar. But a lot of times the kids think that we got lions in Brazil, but we don't have any lions in South America. That's Africa. Now, I'm, I'm going to be emphasizing that difference for a very specific reason. Then we have uh, our biggest mammal is this guy. Anybody recognize this guy? This is a... T <laughs> very strange if it was. This is a taper. This is a baby taper. And the taper, uh, when it's a baby, has these stripes and spots. And when it gets to be an adult, those all disappear. And that's the biggest mammal. But we don't have any elephants. No elephants. That is where? Africa and Asia. Uh, but one animal that we do have that Africa and Asia has, monkeys. We have lots of monkeys. In fact, uh, we can uh, actually sit on our back porch. Uh, we live in a city of 100,000 people. But we can sit on our back porch and have breakfast together and sometimes see and hear monkeys down over the hillside. So that is one animal that... Uh, is there, but we don't have any gorillas. That is Africa. Africa. So it's a different continent, different animals. And I uh, know the kids always, you know, like to, to, to see those things and hear about those things, but they are, are very different. Uh, but we do have some uh, very interesting different birds that are unique and, and only in South America. What guy is this? This is a toucan. This is a toucan. And we have these things come and land in, our, in the trees in our yard. So sometimes we see these. And, of course, when I'm out on the river, I get to see these quite often also. But then one kind of bird that uh, is all over the, you know, Africa, Asia, and South America are macaws and parrots and parakeets. Uh, but we in Brazil have uh, more and more colorful than the other continents. So we have a lot of these as well. Uh, then uh, let me see if, uh, if, the, if the kids recognize these guys. Now, now let, me, let me start this out right. Uh, a couple of places that I've been, when I put this up, they say, oh, those are fish. Well, yeah, they're fish, but what kind of fish is the question. Do you recognize these guys? Those are piranha. Those are piranha. And people are always asking, well, when you're doing those baptisms in the rivers, are you not worried about those piranha? <laughs> well, uh, they're in there, but they don't bother me. Uh, and then, of course, people want to know, well, what about those crocodiles? Well, we got a lot of crocodiles, too, but they don't bother me. And then people say, well, what about those anacondas? What if one of those anacondas was come up there and grab you by the leg and drag you under? No, I don't worry about the anacondas. Do you know what I do have to worry about when I'm baptizing people? Freshwater stingrays. Freshwater stingrays. So a preacher here has to be the guinea pig. He has to get in the water first, 
and you know, move around his feet and take a stick and poke around and make sure there are no stingrays uh, because those are the things that are, that are the biggest threat, uh, not the piranhas or the anacondas or anything like that. But we're in the middle of the rainforest. Uh, our city is in the middle of the jungle, literally 100,000 people in the middle of the jungle. And uh, we have lots of, of course, lots of uh, jungle, as I've just mentioned, and lakes and rivers. And I get to, to work in both settings, in the city and also out in the rainforest. And when, it's, when I say rainforest, I mean rainforest. I mean, it is, uh, we have two seasons in northern Brazil. We have a dry season, which is equivalent to summertime here in the United States. We have about four months of dry weather. And then the other eight months, it rains and it rains and it rains. So those are the only two seasons that we have. But the jungle is absolutely uh, beautiful. And one of the things that uh, people do know about Brazil and about South America that people always ask about, well, what about those, all those trees and, and uh, are, are those people cutting all that down? And that is a concern. And there are true, truly huge trees, unbelievably big trees out there in the jungle. And people here in the United States are conscientious and they're concerned about what's happening with the jungle. And they're concerned that possibly uh, this might be happening, that uh, clear-cutting, the uh, slash and burn that you've heard about so much on the news and documentaries and whatnot, and people are concerned that this will happen to the jungle. But let me just explain to you about how it is in our state. This is our state flag, and uh, the name of our state is the Acre. I'll show you a little bit about that in a moment. But let me just tell you about what's happening with the jungle so that, you know, so you can sort of rest easy and not, do, not be so concerned about it. Uh, okay, you kids who are really good with your geography, this is a state in the United States. What state is this? Georgia. Georgia. And you say, well, why are you, why are you picking on Georgia when you're in California? Well, you'll understand in just a moment. This is the state of Georgia, but Georgia is the same size as our state in Brazil. This is the yellow is the, uh, the shape of the state of Acre. It is pronounced Acre. It doesn't mean acre. Uh, it's just the name of the state. But uh, Georgia and the Acre are the same size, about 60,000 square miles. And they both have about the same amount of not only land mass, but water. In other words, rivers and streams about the same. So I, I chose Georgia to make a comparison so that you can understand what's happening uh, with the jungle. The state of Georgia, if you take that little box that's up there on the screen, uh, that little box is the amount of the state of Georgia that has been set aside for state parks, national parks, wildlife preserves, that kind of thing. Uh, only less than 3% of the state of Georgia has been set aside for forest. In other words, to be, you know, not be farmed or ranched or anything like that. Less than 3%. Now let me take you back to my state, the state of Acre. The state of Acre has 93% of national parks, Indian reservations, and state parks. 93% of the state. That means that only 7% of the state is available for farming or ranching or human use. All of it has been set aside. So when people talk about the jungle, 
and what's happening there, and uh, is it still there? It's there, people. When you fly over it, it's miles and miles and miles and miles of virgin jungle. And there was a time when it looked like uh, that maybe the ranchers were going to take it over, but the Brazilian government has been very, uh, uh, very firm in preserving the jungle, and 93% of our state is either state parks, federal, uh, federal lands, uh, Indian reservations, and that kind of thing. So uh, this picture, which is a picture that I took on one of my river trips, uh, that's the way the jungle still is. It's just like that all around us everywhere we go. And we understand that the jungle is obviously uh, fragile. There are uh, animals that need to be taken care of. Uh, we need to be judicious in, uh, in this very fragile, fragile ecosystem. Uh, we understand that. And uh, I'm, very, I'm very aware of that, and I participate in that. So uh, just, you know, so that you will be, you know, be able to rest a little easier, the jungle is still there, folks. And by God's grace, it will be there until Jesus comes. But let me ask you this. What should we really be looking for? When we think about Brazil, when we think about South America, what should we really be looking at? What should be our focus? What should be the main thing to us? It's people. People is what we really need to be concentrating on, not trees and butterflies and parrots and jaguars and those kind of things. Those are important, but more important than them are the thousands and thousands of people that are scattered around in that jungle that need to hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's what we're about. So uh, just, you know, just to sort of get you up to speed about what our concentration is and, and what you need to be, you know, really concentrating on also is continuing uh, to support and to help us to reach all of those people. Now, uh, Brazil has about half the, the number of states that the United States, we have uh, here in the states, we have 50 states, we have half of that amount in Brazil. So that means that the states are very very big. By and large, the states are really, really big, especially up north where we live. And you saw that uh, I showed you the, that yellow outline a while ago, uh, which is our state, the state of Acre. Well, that, that's, uh, that's, this is the state of Acre. So it's a small state, and yet that's 60,000 square miles. So, uh, and that's one of the smallest states in North Brazil. So our states are very big, but we are in the westernmost part of Brazil, in the town, the westernmost city of Brazil, which is the city of Cruzeiro do Sul, which means Southern Cross. And the reason that we got that honor uh, was because of the constellation, the Southern Cross, which can only be seen in the Southern Hemisphere. So our city is named Southern Cross, or Cruzeiro do Sul, and it is the westernmost city of Brazil. Now, let me talk a little bit to you about how the gospel got to uh, South America. Uh, the era of modern missions uh, began in 1792 with William Carey. Now, we all, I hope everybody remembers that the Reformation uh, happened about the year 1500. Of course, Baptists were in existence uh, from the time of Christ, and Baptists uh, were pretty much underground during the Dark Ages. But the Reformation uh, was a benefit to Baptists because we were able to come out. 
But it took almost 300 years after the beginning of the Reformation for Baptists to sort of wake up and say, hey, we need to be doing some mission work here. So uh, many of you probably uh, heard the story about how William Carey was in a Baptist association meeting, and he said, you know, we, we ought to be doing missions. We ought to be taking the gospel to the heathen. And one of the pastors uh, spoke up that day and said, well, now, if God wanted the heathen to have the gospel, he'd do something about it. Well, he did do something about it. He told his church to go to the heathen. And so uh, what I'm saying is it took 300 years after the Reformation to get around to, to getting back to really getting serious about the work. But when William Carey and, and others talked about the heathen, who were they talking about? They were talking about Africans and Asians. They thought that the heathen lived in Africa and Asia. And you notice that I've been emphasizing, you know, that comparison with South America. Well, the gospel didn't even get to South America until 1850. It was 1850. And even then, uh, unfortunately, it wasn't, it, we weren't the first there. We weren't, the Baptists were not the first to get to South America. We're the Presbyterians that took the gospel to uh, South America the first, uh, before anybody else. And it wasn't until 1882 that the first Baptist church was started in Brazil. Now, my question is, why? Why did we not, you know, with all of those people in South America, why were we not taking the gospel to those people? Why were so many missionaries going to Africa and to Asia? And I'm glad they did. And they needed to go. That's part of the job. That's part of going to, you know, the regions beyond, as we say, to the uttermost part of the earth. So I'm glad that they did. But why did they not go to South America? Why did people not wake up to the idea that we need to be doing mission work in South America? Well, I, the, the explanation is very simple. People looked at South America and its history. And when, for instance, Brazil. Brazil was discovered by Portugal. Uh, and the explorer's name is Pedro Alvarez Cabral. And he landed at uh, Porto Seguro, on a beach at Porto Seguro, uh, in southern Brazil in 1500. And the first thing that he did, he had a priest on board, and the priest got off of the boat, erected a cross there on the beach, and said a mass. And so in the way of thinking of North Americans and Europeans, well, Brazil is Christian. South America is Christian. They put up a cross. They said a mass. So that's a Christian country. It's a Christian continent. So it took forever for people to realize that maybe not. Maybe not. Because just because the priest is, you know, sprinkling a few drops of water on the heads of those Indians, I don't think that quite transforms a person into a Christian. Now, they may get the name Christian, but that doesn't mean that they are Christian. And just let me tell you a, a, a brief personal story that will will make you understand that better. I was on a plane returning to Brazil, and the plane was full, and I was uh, seated beside a man who is uh, a political commentator and analyst for Fox News. And I didn't let him know that I knew who he was. Didn't, you know, don't want to make it feel too important, you know. Uh, but we started talking, and he told me why he was going to Brazil, and then he wanted to know why I was going to Brazil. 
So I took advantage of that opportunity to witness to him a little bit. And I said, well, I'm a Baptist missionary. And I travel on the rivers in the Amazon. And I go from village to village. And I tell people that uh, they're sinners, that they're lost, and that they need a Savior. And that Savior is Jesus Christ who died, was buried, and rose again. And so that's what I'm doing. I'm sharing Jesus with those people. He looks at me and he says, well, if that's what you're doing, they don't need you, do they? Now, I don't know whether you're aware of this or not, but most of the anchors, and uh, this is not a criticism, no, there's not, it's, not a, it's not a religious thing, but uh, just mention this. Most of the commentators and anchors and analysts on Fox News are Roman Catholics. They belong to the Roman Catholic Church. I don't know whether you've noticed that or not. And so by, what was this man saying to me? Well, if the priests and nuns are there from my church, why do they need this Baptist preacher? The, the priests and nuns are telling them about Jesus. Unfortunately, the only thing, I don't know how it is here in the United States, but down there, the only thing that they tell them is that there was this virgin named Mary who had a son. And that's as far as they go. I mean, they don't really, they don't know the gospel. They've never heard the gospel. And how can they share something that they don't have themselves? So here's the point. It took forever for the, the gospel to get to, to South America because people thought, well, they're Christian there, but they're not. And they need, they need me and they need you to share the gospel with them. So Brazil is known for some, some important things in our lives, like coffee. Everybody's got to have that coffee. Uh, <laughs> so that's one of the things that, that when people think Brazil, they know that, that coffee doesn't come from Africa or Asia. Coffee comes from Brazil. Uh, everybody also knows that best team in the world. Oh, sorry about that. That, that sort of slipped there. Uh, Brazil, of course, loves their soccer. Uh, soccer is a big, big deal in Brazil. But the gospel is making a difference even in soccer. Any of you recognize this young man? Uh, I know in California they play a lot of soccer, so surely. Who is this? That's Kaka. Exactly. Very good. This is uh, one of our uh, national team players. And this young man was uh, playing in a friendly against the United States not too long ago and scored a goal. And when he scored a goal, guess what he did? As he ran to the sideline, he ripped off his Brazilian jersey. I mean, he took it completely off. Took his jersey off. And underneath his Brazilian jersey, he had a T-shirt written in English, Jesus saves. He's a good Christian young man. In fact, uh, he and his uh, young wife married uh, as virgins. They made up their mind that they were not going to violate God's law. And so even in soccer, uh, the gospel is now making a huge difference. Well, let's get back and uh, share with you just briefly how the, the Baptist work got to my part of the world. And, of course, it left from North America. It didn't come from England. The gospel went from North America to South America. And it, uh, it got to our part of the world through a man called Joseph Brandon, who in uh, October of 1923 left the port of New York and went to the port of Belém, 
in South America at the mouth of the Amazon River. And he went upriver then and across the continent and went up a tributary of the Amazon almost completely across the continent to my city, the city of Crusade du Sul. So he left Belém, uh, which is the same word as Bethlehem in uh, Portuguese to English. He left Belém and went to places like Manaus and, and others and eventually went to Crusade du Sul. And as he went along, he actually started several little churches in several places, uh, spending you know a month here, two months there, sort of like the Apostle Paul, and uh, started several works, but ended up in Crusader du Sul. And you might say, well, why did he go to Crusader du Sul? Why did he go clear across the country and on a tributary thousands of miles upstream? Well, the reason was because uh, Crusader du Sul was the center of the rubber industry at that time. More rubber trees are in our area than in uh, any other part of Brazil. So it was a very famous uh, city at that time, already at that time, in 1926 when he arrived in Cruzeiro do Sul. So he went 4,000 miles. It took him three years to get to Cruzeiro do Sul, and it took him another three years to start the First Baptist Church of uh, Cruzeiro do Sul with 13 charter members. That was in uh, May uh, 12, 1929. And First Baptist Church is our sponsoring church, a church under whose authority uh, we work today. So that was started by Joseph Brandon, uh, many, many years ago. But when I went to Brazil, as you remember, my dad was a missionary before me, and he went to that same city halfway across there, Manaus, and we flew into Manaus, but in, and instead of going to Cruzeiro do Sul by plane, which we could have done, another missionary who was going with dad uh, was afraid to fly. So he said, let's go on a, let's go on a steamboat. Let's go on a paddle wheel steamboat because it's safer. So let's not fly. And Dad actually, you know, Dad actually caved on that. So we went on a paddle wheel steamboat all the way up the Amazon and all the way up the Jurua River, up that tributary. Uh, And that was a long, long trip. Took us 50 days to go 2,275 miles. That was in 1961. And to be able to get to Cruzeiro do Sul, naturally, you had to go in the mouth of the Juruá River. And I want you to remember that, that little yellow arrow up there. Just sort of remember that, because that's important uh, concerning the progress of our work right now. Now I have to sort of fast forward and not tell you everything that happened during all of those ensuing years from 1961. Uh, I have to sort of bring you up to date right now and show you some of the things that are happening as we speak in Cruzeiro do Sul. When I was with you last, our membership at First Baptist was about uh, eight or nine hundred members. I don't know exactly how many, but it was about eight or nine hundred members five years ago when I was here. Well, now we have a thousand four hundred members. And just this year, we've had a, a bunch of baptisms, a lot of people being saved. We now have five pastors at First Baptist Church. We have three chapel pastors that work full-time in our chapels, which are extensions of First Baptist Church in the community. We have six of those. And when I was with you before, we had eight full-time Brazilian missionaries that First Baptist Church supported. We now have 11, so that's grown also. Uh, we have over 20 congregations out in the interior, and we now have 20, I believe when I was with you last, we had 20 churches or 21 churches, and we now have 23 churches. So two more churches have been organized 
uh, in the period these last five years since I last reported to you. Uh, here are the five pastors of uh, First Baptist Church. The old guy in the middle, of course, is one of those. Uh, but then uh, next to me in the blue long sleeve shirt is Pastor Pedro, who has been with me the longest. And the other guy on the other side of me is Dauru. And Dauru is my son-in-law, married my youngest daughter, who's one of our pastors. And then the two men on the ends are our newest uh, pastors. So uh, you can imagine how difficult it is to take care of 1,400 people with just five pastors. But we're grateful that we do have five pastors at First Baptist Church. Now let me share with you a little bit of a Sunday morning service in First Baptist Church. And of course, it's a whole lot like church service here in the States, you know. But, of course, big crowd. Uh, and we don't have, we're not able to get those 1,400 people in the building at one time. So we have several services during the day. In fact, last Sunday, uh, Sunday night, which is our biggest service, by the way, on last Sunday night, they had, the building was full, and they had to put a projector out in the front, out in the street, block off the street, and put a projector outside so that those people who couldn't get in the building uh, would be able to attend the service. So that just gives you a, a little bit of an idea about uh, how much growth we've experienced in the last uh, several months. Uh, we have a baptistry. It's just a whole lot like here in the States, uh, our, our church services and everything. And uh, this year alone, we had one baptism, which I believe was the first this year was 54 people. Then we had 46, uh, 74. My son-in-law performed that baptism, 74 people baptized in one service on a Sunday morning. I broke my record, by the way. My son-in-law did that to me. Uh, 74 baptized. Then we had another uh, 50-something. And then uh, just since we've been in the States, they baptized another 60-some. So it's just been wonderful to see the growth uh, that the Lord has brought and the missionaries that God is bringing up uh, through uh, not only uh, our church, obviously, but all over Brazil. I, I believe that Brazil is, is going to be the, the, the next America, you might say, in sending missionaries around the world. And uh, one of the things that's really neat... Uh, What's, it's sort of sad for us as Americans. Americans can't get in everywhere. Like Bolivia, who is a country just below us, just south of us, American missionaries cannot get into Bolivia. And, but Brazilians can. So uh, we're very grateful that God has been uh, performing all of these wonderful things for us. Now, in 2006 and 2007, we got our missionaries together, got our pastors together, our churches together, and uh, encourage them to help us to go house to house on 22 rivers and streams upriver from Cruzeiro do Sul. And we actually did that. We went to every house on every one of those rivers and streams. And when, and when I'm talking about those streams, you're going to see a little bit of that in a few minutes. I mean, this is dragging canoes through, you know, stumps and over logs and, and shallows and that kind of thing. But we managed to do that. Well, as we speak, we're going back, and we're doing that again. But this is upstream. This is upriver from Cruzeiro do Sul. This is one of our newest missionaries. This is Brother Fredson, his wife, one of those three more that we added since I was here last. He quit his job, went to a village uh, about 200 miles upriver from Cruzeiro do Sul, started work from scratch, 
And here you can see the dedication of the new building that they built. And let me... This, these buildings are built by the people there. And uh, the only assistance that they have from you and me is since they can't, they can't produce the roofing, so instead of covering the, the buildings with thatch roofing, we help them to buy the roofing. But they have to saw the lumber to be able to, in, to install themselves. And so Brother Fredson um, went into this village and started from scratch. This particular night, we had over 150 people in the building and a bunch of people that couldn't get in that were, were outside. This is uh, the newest building on the border uh, between per- Brazil and Peru. Uh, we have a, a family that works there. We were dedicating the new building there. The, that weekend that I spent with them, uh, we had over 220 people in every service. And this is a little, little village of about 300 people right on the border with Peru. This is Brother Vondo and his wife Claudia and his, their boys. Uh, there are missionaries, Brazilians who uh, work there in uh, Foz do Bril. Uh, let me just point out something here. Uh, you can see this little river that's coming out. This is the Juruá River. This is our big river. And this little river here that goes across here is the, the Breu River. And that is the border between Peru and uh, Brazil. And the jungle you see in the background is in Peru. Well, I'm standing in Brazil. And if you just look across that little river, you're already in uh, to Peru. Uh, that particular day during the uh, the close of the, the meeting that we held there to dedicate the new building, I was able to do a, a very, very international uh, baptism, uh, something I'd never done. I baptized the same, on the same day uh, Brazilians, Peruvians, and Indians or indigenous people from two different tribes. So it's a very, very international uh, baptism that we performed on that Sunday morning. This is Brother Jose Maya and his family. Just, just, I can't show you all of our missionaries, just show you a few. Brother uh, Zemaya works with the Kashinawa Indians on the Brill River. Uh, so he's even further upstream from, from that village that I just showed you. And they've been uh, with us working uh, as our missionaries since 1992. This is the new building that uh, we put up in our international missions uh, in Peru. Uh, this is in a city called uh, Chipisca on the Juruá River, but several miles upstream uh, on the Peruvian side. And this, this is our missionary there. This is Brother Tito and his wife, Idalia. And they've been faithful uh, missionaries with us for several years now. And he's the guy that goes with me on those trips to the Indian tribes in Peru and translates for me and, and tries to help me through those uh, tough services when you're, you know, trying to speak to people and don't know whether people are understanding or not. Brother Emerson Moreno has been with us for several years. He and his wife were both saved in our church, uh, taught in our church, trained in our church, and sent out by our church as missionaries. And, and they have taken over the work in a village called Taumaturgo, about 200 miles or so upriver a little bit further upstream from Brother Fredson. And they built a, a nice big brick building way up there, way upriver, without any outside help. And this was the, the service, the organization of the church there. And this particular night, we had over 450 people inside, and the street was full of people outside that could not 
you know, could not get in the building. And this church was organized with 212 charter members. We started the church with 212 charter members. Now, we started the work from scratch. There were no Baptists there at all. But we organized the church with 212 charter members. They have already started three congregations in the interior and are supporting two missionaries also that are working out of their church. So why, why am I giving you those details? Because it's very important to us that when we, when we tell you that we organized the church, that number one, that was of the, of the Holy Spirit, that was in his time, that we don't rush into it, but that those churches can function as true missionary Baptist churches should function. So we're very proud of what God has done in Taumatugu. This is Brother Marinho. I've written in my mission letters several times about Brother Marinho. He's been in a wheelchair for most of his life. And this particular Saturday morning, uh, my son Andrew and some of the men from church were uh, giving him his brand new canoe, aluminum canoe. My son Andrew, uh, I think he's in the picture here. This is my son Andrew, uh, works with us in the mission work down there. And he has, he set up a boat factory and he builds these aluminum canoes and builds other kinds of boats to make a living, but he provides our missionaries with much more efficient canoes. You don't have to chop down a tree to make a dugout anymore because you got this aluminum boat, which is lighter, more economical, stronger, lasts longer. So that's been a, a very, very big blessing in our work. Brother Ryan takes care of two or three congregations uh, upstream also, goes out every weekend uh, to preach the gospel to people. Then we have uh, several churches in the mission, uh, in the Indian reservations, uh, some of these places we were not able to get into years ago, but w the Lord's opened doors. This is at the Poyanawa tribe, and you see a, a little building that they built themselves. But the, the river trips and the things that I write to you so often about are something that uh, is very dear to me because I want to get out to those thousands of people out there in the jungle. And this will give you a little bit of an idea about what it looks like. This is a shortcut, by the way. Uh, and you have to know your way around the jungle or you get lost. And uh, these shortcuts that go through the jungle sometimes can cut off as much as 12 miles of river that you would have to go around those big bends to be able to make your way through. But then we have uh, two different seasons that I mentioned before. We have the dry season when it's wall-to-wall -wall logs and shallows and rapids like this. Then you have the rainy season when the river gets out of its banks. Uh, let, me, let me just uh, go on here. This is how small the rivers get, those 22 rivers and streams that we travel. This is uh, two of our missionaries that are uh, going upstream on one of those little rivers on one of those uh, mission trips. But then when the rainy season comes along, look what happens to the river. It gets huge, very big. This is the Judawai River, several thousand miles long. In the dry season, it's like this. And I have to travel uh, in this particular case. This is my small summertime boat that we built ourselves. Uh, and then the bigger boat in the background belongs to one of the, the other churches. Andrew also built that boat. And we put a jet drive on that outboard to be able to get through those shallows. This is the boat that, that I use. It looks, of course, very similar to the ones you just saw. But uh, this is the boat that I use in the rainy season. When the river's up, out of its banks, I can travel with this kind. Then when the dry season comes along, then I have to switch over to a smaller boat. But let me just uh, uh, very quickly uh, just show you what's, what's ahead, what's next, what are, we, what are we looking forward to? 
Uh, we've got all of these missionaries and all of these places that were uh, preaching the gospel and establishing congregations and then transforming them into churches, new uh, Baptist churches. But what, what do I want you to pray about uh, for the future? What's, what's next in our work? Well, uh, I wrote to you not too long ago about a long trip that we made down, down river to the mouth of the Judois. I don't know whether you remember reading that or not, but we went downstream, and these are a couple of my traveling buddies. Uh, you, if you follow our letters, uh, then you've heard me talk many times about Hudson. This is Hudson, who travels with me quite often. Uh, a couple of three years ago, uh, the family and the church said, okay, it's time to quit traveling by yourself. You've got to have somebody with you. I don't know whether they think I'm getting old or what's going on, but... Uh, these guys, uh, Brother Eliezer, who is pastor of one of our churches, uh, travels with us quite often. But we went downriver, went downriver, we put, put my boat on the front of a barge. We lived in the hold of the barge for 10 days while we made it from Cruzeiro du Sul going downstream to the mouth of the Juruai. And the mouth of the Juruai, uh, which is from here to here in the rainy season, is 2,000 feet wide. And yet, when I was a kid, 50 years ago, when we went in there on the Paddlewheel steamboat, and even on this day, when we finally got to the mouth of the Jurua River, when you get out in the Amazon, which is the river that's out further there uh, on the horizon, the Jurua looks like a creek. It looks like a little stream, that it, it's so small, and yet it's a big, big river. But we uh, made it to the mouth of the Jurua, and just so you can have an idea about the size this uh, little, these little barges, which are actually huge barges, two barges, end to end, with a five-story tugboat. That's in the Amazon. That's how big the Amazon is. I mean, it is, it's shocking when you're out there uh, driving your little boat out in the Amazon. So we made our way upriver, and uh, what, the what's next is this. You remember that I told you we've been working systematically all the rivers and streams upriver from Cruzeiro du Sul. Well, since two years ago, we've now turned our sights to downriver. And this particular trip, which the last 30 days that I was on the field uh, in Brazil, just before we came home on furlough, I traveled in that little boat that I showed you a minute ago, I traveled 4,165 miles. I mean, personally piloting my little boat, uh, 4,165 miles, and we were going from village to village, house to house, counting every house, putting down every village, the coordinates for every village, how many people live there, what they do to make a living, and you see, what you see here is the way it is downriver. Only thing that people do, they don't farm, they don't ranch, they don't grow anything, they just fish. So that's very different from upstream. So the point is, that we are now working our way downstream, uh, preaching the gospel, and sending missionaries to reach all of those thousands of people downstream from us. So I believe that's, uh, I believe that's what I have for you today. Uh, we will not be in any hurry to rush off this morning, so, uh, but I haven't left time for questions and answers. Uh, but if you do have questions or answers, uh, we'll be more than glad to spend the whole day with you and answer any questions that we, that we can. Uh, but once again, thank you so much, 
thank you, thank you, thank you so much for faithfully supporting us, even though we don't get in to report to you very often. Uh, but now you have, I hope, a little bit better idea about what it's like, uh, where we live, and what we're doing, and what we have in store by God's grace. So thank you very much. God bless you. If you'd like to have one of our prayer cards, just ask my beautiful wife, Beverly, and she might be nice to you today. God bless. Thank you so much.